Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Hi friends, I hope that you're doing well. I'm very excited to be coming live today with another amazing foster mama, Amber Reynolds, who many of you probably know. Um, She's going to be joining me in just a moment and we're gonna be chatting about all things foster care, coping, mental health, all the good things. So I will wait for her to join and then we will get started. So I think Amber is here. She just will be joining me in just a bit. (laughs) Wait for it. Hey. Hi, friend. I'm in my office. How are you? <laughs> That's what I call my car. <laughs> Queen. That is the story of my life, literally. That's the only reason I like have this office is because there's never a quiet place in my house ever. Right. I mean, I also do therapy, but beyond that, I'm like, I can't, if I want to have yeah. a quiet conversation, That's I just true. have to come out of the house. It's just, it's what it is. I know. I'm but how good. are you doing today? I uh, did the thing that you do in your 30s where I sat on the couch and threw my back out. Oh. <laughs> oh, queen. No. Yeah, so I, like, have been doing a ton of heat, and I just did, like, a hydro massage, and so I'm I'm all right. My, my body, yeah, so I work with teenagers, and they do not understand this kind of injury at all. So I was actually at school today, and I was, like, laying on a heating pad in my real office on the floor, and they just came, kept coming in and, like, stepping on me. What? They're silly. What? They're like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I sat on the couch uh, too long. Whatever it's happened, fine. happened. You don't need to know details. That's, oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, thank you for joining me, even though I, you're a busy, busy mama and uh, you're doing all the things. But I wanted to just chat with you and, and have this conversation because I feel like when I think about people who have, A, been through the ringer with foster care and adoption stuff, and B, who are really exemplifying coping mm-hmm. in the midst of those things, I think of you. And I feel like you have been so honest about how your family's doing, how you're doing, how hard it is at times, but you're also really good about showing how you cope. So I would love for you to just talk about, like, when did that really become something that you knew was super important for you and your family? And then how are you doing that these days in the midst yeah. of like really uh, big I'll just trials? Do like a very brief background kind of of the last like year, five years of our life, like really fast for those who don't follow me. But um, so we have been foster parents for five and a half years, six years, oh, close to six years. And we've had a couple of longer-term placements. In January of 2021, we adopted our three kiddos. They are seven, six, and five now. And in the past, really in the past like 10 months, since the beginning of this year, we have been pretty much in survival mode, crisis mode, pretty much the entire year. Uh, 2022 has been really rough. Uh, Our oldest adoptive son had a mental illness breakdown, had a psychotic episode multiple times and was placed in uh, psychiatric hospitals and then back in our home in psychiatric hospitals and ended up staying 31 days in an emergency room and is now like living in a 
foster home outside of our home while awaiting longer term psychiatric care. And so it has been <laughs> going through the ringer is like a really good cliche because I could have never imagined or guessed that our life would look like this. Like you can't even, it, it feels unreal to me, even though I'm going through it. Like sometimes I'm like, is this really our life? Like, is this really happening? Is this like, I think about some of the court dates or some of the meetings that we've, we've held on our son's behalf. And I'm like, this isn't really happening. Like, this is not real. So it has been like really, really stressful. And I think that you're right. Like, we had to learn how to cope because we had to like oftentimes people will ask me like how do you do it how are you still doing it like how are you still showing up to IEP meetings and how are you still working full-time and that like I don't know what to, that's just I'm doing what I what I have to do I taking a page from Frozen and doing the next right thing like that's all that we can do right and so when I talk about like coping strategies and, and coping mechanisms, it looks different a lot of times. Like it looks different day to day and it looks different whether I am walking my children through that. Like we've had to walk our five and six year old through a lot of really stressful and horrible, terrible traumas. And we didn't, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice but to figure out how to cope because I don't know anybody that could survive as many months and as m many crises, like true crises, as we have and not figured out some way to cope without becoming like forming an addiction or, you know, like I, I see a lot of times that people run to drugs or alcohol or sex or like whatever it is to kind of just block out what's going on but that's not where our heart is our heart is to continue to advocate for our kids and so therefore we've had to figure out different ways to cope for our family wow and so i mean that to me when i hear you talk about that i'm like okay so you have had you know one child in particular with this mental health crisis and then the other two kiddos who are obviously old enough to be aware and are affected daily as well by this and so as a mom i think this is a struggle that a lot of moms have but Particularly in this situation, I'm like, how, like, what do you do to pre preserve yourself? And at the same time, you're like trying to preserve your children extra than normal right. than just like the day to day, you know, routine of right. school and homework and stuff like that. So what have you learned and what have you applied in your life? Yeah. So one thing that we did before we got to this crisis boiling point is we talk a lot about taking breaks. So our kids take breaks, we take breaks. Um, and so we practice taking a break when we're not in crisis. So when we are in crisis, it doesn't feel like we're shutting people out. So for instance, for me, sometimes after school, I work a school day. And so oftentimes like I need a break before I can help my kids with homework or before we can do dinner or whatever. And so I'll say, Hey, you can have 15 minutes of screen time. Mom needs a break. Mom's not talking to you during this time, whatever it is, wait. And then I set my timer on my phone. And when they hear my timer go off, like mom's done with a break. And so we do that with the kids too. Like before they get to a boiling point, if we see, you know, my, my youngest son has ADHD and autism. And so it's very easy to kind of see, like, if he starts to escalate before we get to a breaking point, we can say, Hey buddy, it's time to take a break. 15 minutes. Mom will set my timer. When you hear it go off, like you can come out of your room. You're not in trouble. Like this is not the same as a timeout. 
literally just like taking a break and calming ourselves because sometimes we don't have the capacity. And so we as the adults have to teach our kids that and model it. And so I, I view it as I am modeling for my kids what it looks like to have healthy boundaries, what it looks like to have healthy breaks, what it is to protect my own mental health. So I can say like, hey, mom's not mad. There's no problems. I'm not frustrated, but I just need a break. My brain needs a break. And so that has been like our biggest tool to be able to, you know, have these like mini mindfulness sections where sometimes I'm literally just sitting on the couch amongst the chaos of my children playing. But I just say like, I need a break. I'm going to read a book. When my timer goes off, I will talk to you. And so it's not like overnight they knew to not bug me 700 times, but we've been doing this for years where now, like if I am feeling overwhelmed or I am feeling very frustrated, I can say like, Hey, pause, mom needs a break. When my timer goes off, we'll come back to this conversation because we have to stay regulated. If I don't stay regulated, there's no chance in the world that my small people will stay regulated. Mm-hmm. That's such a good reminder, an important reminder. It's like a booty kick for me. <laughs> like, I think, you know, ideally that's what we would do. We would be able to say regularly, but I love that tangible tool. Right. So be like, look, this is not a punishment. This is what people do. This is what healthy people do when they are overwhelmed right. or dysregulated. They need a break. I love the idea of modeling that for them. And I love the idea too, of not shying away from talking to your kids about the hard stuff that they clearly are absorbing anyway, because I think so many times I hear people as a therapist, I work with mostly teenagers and young kids, like parents are like, we didn't want to talk about that with them. I'm like, well, guess what? They knew it anyway. So it's better for everyone if you just have that open, honest conversation. So I love that about you. You're so transparent. You always have been. Our kids, Um, especially if you're parenting kiddos from hard places, especially if they come to you like after the age of two or like are in the system during their school years, they pick up on way more than we think that they do. And so not talking about it doesn't mean that they just like are going to be naive. Our, my kids were two, one and seven weeks when they came to us, but they were in the system for three and a half years. So like up until Carter was in, in kindergarten when we were still doing visits and they, they know bad words. They know about violence. They know about domestic abuse. They know about addiction. They know about drugs. And so if we don't find ways to healthy, like be the person that they feel comfortable coming to and talking to about those things, they're going to talk about it at school. At least in my experience, my school age kiddos love the shock value of knowing things that grownups don't think that they should know. And so they'll pull it out at very inconvenient times. If you're not like, Hey, this is something that we'll talk about at home. Mommy will always answer your questions, but this is not really a school conversation. And so, you know, sometimes I'll say, if you feel like you need to talk about this, like tell your teacher, you need to call your mom. And my teachers, my kids' teachers know that we have a trauma background. And when my kids say, I need to call my mom, I can have a conversation because I can diffuse that in like two or three minutes where if they want to start a conversation about heroin in kindergarten, then it becomes a huge deal to the kindergarten class to have to navigate that. And then I get parents calling me being like, ah! so we really have like a very open conversation in our house where our kids bring stuff up all the time. And so frequently as a mom, especially as an adoptive mom, you want to push that aside and like breeze past it and not talk about it anymore. And mm-hmm. I have learned through the years that it just doesn't work that way. Like our kids are going to be thinking about it 
our kids have all these really hard questions. And if we're not talking about it in ways that are age appropriate now, then it's going to be harder if we keep pushing it under the rug, keep pushing it under the rug. It's being harder when they're like preteens and teens and want to talk about where they came from or bio family or things that they saw that maybe made them feel uncomfortable. We have to talk about it or else it's just not, it's going to be way worse than if we can't give them bits and pieces of it now. Yeah, that's so true. And I honestly like use that exact analogy in therapy with kids. I'm like, it's going to be like essentially like a shaken up soda bottle. Like if you don't let out a little bit, a little bit, you know, of the air at a time, it's going to explode. And that's what we're trying to prevent is that explosion yeah. that happens with adults, happens with kids, but like, that's but just like, you know, really our, our of adopted it. children look like us. Like people would not ever assume that, that they're adopted if they didn't say it all the time, which is, is fine. That's part of their story and how they're trying to process it. But like our um, two oldest have brown eyes and Chris and I both have blue eyes. And so other than like that, so they talk a lot about it. That's like kind of like a jumping point because we use TBRI a lot in our home. And so, um, especially when they're getting riled up, I always say, what color are my eyes? Because it gets them to look at me in the eyes. And so like, once we've made that connection, they're able to kind of have a better conversation with me if they're looking at me instead of like trying to focus on all these things. So our big phrase in our house is like, what color are my eyes? They'll look at my eyes and see. And so we have conversations sometimes about like, well, you have blue eyes and daddy has blue eyes and I have brown eyes. I'm like, okay, well, where do we think we got, you got your blue, your brown eyes and how did God create you in that way? And so then we're able to talk about, they call them their visit mom and dad, their biological family and, you know, how they were created and how they look like them and how they're, you know, so we're able to have these like bite-sized conversations so that it's not a big volcano moment where, you know, sometimes I have people ask me on Instagram, how do you tell your kids they're adopted? I'm like, I don't know know how to do that because it's for us, it's so second nature. We talk about it all the time, especially in the car. Kids love having conversations in the car. And we were actually told that, you know, before we were parents, like be ready for those car conversations. And it's so true because they don't have to make eye contact with you and you're strapped in one place. So you cannot escape the questions. So we have a lot of questions about bio family in the car on the way to school or on the way home and, and it's, it's healthy and it's fine. And we don't bring it up all the time to make them go back to that place of trauma. But I promise you, they're thinking about it. Like they, there are things on their brain that they want to know that, you know, they want to ask you in a place that feels safe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it is amazing too. Like the way developmentally little kids brains work is like, they do just process in bits and pieces. They don't want to have typically like a, a therapy session that's like an hour long or like an hour long series of questions. It's like, I have this one question and right. all of a sudden like, okay, I'm done. I want to talk about school now. I want to talk right. about sports and a cartoon. Like, you know, it's, it's like, totally oh, cool. that. It's that's like, cool. Just it's like, did you know me when I was born from the hospital? I'm like, nope, buddy. I didn't meet you when you were coming home from the hospital. Okay. Do you know how many swords it would take if a ninja was trying to build a castle? And I'm like, what? But like, that's, that's how, it, that's how it works. And so like, Later, we will build on that question of, did you meet at the hospital? I know that we will come back to it, but like, they don't need us to go in depth to all of these things. And I think that that's a lot of adoptive parents feel like all this anxiety about it because you don't have all the answers. And so I think it's also okay to just say to your kiddo, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what that is. 
Like, I would love to help mm -hmm. you find that out, but I don't really understand how that happened or I don't know how that happened. And I think my husband is a lot better at doing that than I am at saying like, hmm, I don't really know. And I'm like, let's talk about all these other things. And they're like, they don't really care about that. <laughs> like, they just want to know, do you know this answer? And so I think that it has also been like another coping strategy and a way for us to keep our mental health during this like super stressful time because it's true like we are not able to shield our kids from what is happening in our home our son had homicidal and suicidal tendencies and ideations and conversations with his brother and sister and so it wasn't like like this blow up thing was happening over here and this was happening over here like our kids are seven six and five like they're 12 months apart they're in the same because of developmentally, like they're in the same developmental stages. And so the fact that they already kind of had this foundation of knowing mom and dad will talk to you about whatever, you know, like we're, we're going to have these conversations. We're going to, we've already built this space of trust, right? Like this trust of mom and dad will let us know we don't lie in our family. We don't exaggerate what's happening, but we will give them age appropriate truths. I always say, I think sometimes we push the boundary of what is age appropriate, but we know that our kids have also like street wise, they know way more than what I would say a typical first and kindergartner knows. And so we give them those abilities. And I think that has been a way that our family has been able to stay connected is because we will have these conversations with our small children as they arise so important so good and such a good reminder why don't you tell us just because i want people to be able to who aren't following you already um to be able to follow you and your story and your family and thank you again for all that you share and your your just vulnerability and you lead with vulnerability is just so powerful and so needed in this in this world of foster care and adoption um so where yeah, can so people find I'm you online it's amber reynolds and instagram is my main platform my husband has been telling me I should branch onto TikTok, but it's very scary. I know. I'm literally like, it is a fear. I don't know how I, <laughs> like, no, I don't have the capacity to like be everywhere. So I'm mainly just here on Instagram. Um, I think that I bring a lot of humor. I think that's my kind of niche in this, in this world is I don't really know how to have a serious conversation, which is probably why I do great with my children and their conversations because I can keep up with their nonsense but I bring that nonsense to reels and I, I try to have, have fun even in the midst of like, good gracious. I was living in the hospital for weeks on end and sometimes it's not there, but I really feel like there is this void of being able to talk through the hard things without getting so heavy and deep. Like it's not so heavy and deep. And I think that I'm a believer and as somebody who, who is a Christian, like all through scripture, I think that Jesus balanced a lot of like, I don't think everyone reads it this way, but like when I read parables, oftentimes I feel them being very sarcastic and like, yes. Jesus was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. you dummies, like listen to the story that a five-year-old <laughs> could understand and apply it to your life. And so I think that like, I love to take on that as well. Like just say like, Hey, it doesn't have to always be serious we can have fun and learn and be the best advocate that we can for our children. You know, I've sat through hundreds of hours of IEP meetings and those are no fun. So if we don't make fun of it a little bit, I will lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I know you're busy and we just really appreciate you. I love you so much. I'm praying for you guys and let, let us know when you want to chat again. Cause I feel I like know. we could do this for like another hour. Yeah, okay. thanks, Kathleen. Love to talk Have about. a good day.